welcome to Librarians Allowed, an independent podcast sponsored by the academic and special library section of the Library Association of Ireland. I'm your host, Laura Rooney-Ferris. So welcome back to all our regular listeners and a special shout out to any new listeners. It's good to have you on board. So in this episode, I catch up for a chat with a former colleague, Jane Bogle from Dublin Business School. Jane is Dublin Business School's Deputy Librarian and Learner Support Coordinator, and she's also Senior Editor of the journals Studies in Arts and Humanities and DBS's Business Review. So we talked about her library career, um, the editorial process, and the growing role of libraries and librarians in publishing. Okay, so I'm here with Jane Bogle. Jane, thank Hi. you very much for joining me on Librarians Allowed. Oh, here thanks so much for asking. It's a lovely me. Dublin Business School. I'm back here again. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> the bad penny. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's just start with how you ended up winding your way into the world of libraries. How, how did you take your first steps into the great world of libraries? Well, I started off, like as a child, I loved using the library and, mm. you know, I think I was probably always very, you know, greedy and wanting possessions or something <laughs> and, you know, even though I had to give them back, I I had them for a while. So I u- used to love using the library, but mm. I never saw it as being a career for myself at all. Mm. So This is probably back though when librarians were kind of scary back then, or at least I remember loving the library, but I was a little bit scared oh, of the library. shushing, you know. Yeah, they were always telling me you couldn't go into the adult section as well, exactly. so I didn't like that. Yeah. But anyway, I'd go out with my five books and back in the next week or whatever, I used to go to Dundrum. But, uh, so then, after school, I went and did a degree in, in arts in UCD, so mm. in philosophy and Greek and Roman civilization. So nice. I was qualified for nothing. <laughs> but all I really wanted to do at that point was just take off, so I went to the States Mm. and uh, I lived in, in San Francisco for a few years and mm. when I was there I, d- I worked in bookshops and I really mm. liked that it's always kind of like, I think a lot of great people, bookshops in San Francisco yeah there were some really good ones but uh, I think a lot of people some people make the transition to libraries through bookshops mm. but anyway I really enjoyed that and uh, then I ended up moving to London and I decided that I'd try and get into a library mm. so I applied for a couple of jobs and got a job in Camden Public Libraries. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, I worked in St Pancras Library and in Camden Town. Mm. I really, really liked it. So that's great location as well. Brilliant location, but uh, and there was all kinds of things going on. It was Mm. a really exciting time. But uh, anyway, while I was there, they they kind of sort of sponsored me. They gave me money towards doing um, my um, postgraduate diploma. So I went to University College London and did that there. Mm. And I did it part-time and worked in Camden at the same time. So it was busy, but, mm. but it was really, really good. It was a sort of a kind of old school, kind of a library school as well. Mm. Uh, it was run by a couple called the McElwains. And uh, they'd invite the students to their house and they just lived and breathed. It was quite old-fashioned. Yeah. They called you by, like, Ms. Buggle, you know, so mm. by, by your surname. I don't think they even knew my first name. 
But uh, I remember once getting an assignment back. It would be way too informal to be calling you by your first name. (laughs) But anyway, one time I got an assignment back from one of the McElwain's and in the margin it said, I think not Ms. Buggle. (laughs) So, but anyway, they were were great and they were involved at a very kind of high level Mm. as well. uh, They were very modest people, but they were on boards at Ifland, you know, so I kind of saw a sort of international kind of reach at that point. Mm. And uh, so I finished, finished my course and uh, and decided that I was going to come back and try and find some work in in Dublin. Mm-hmm. And I came back and there was absolutely nothing. And it was um, a little bit parochial, really, at the time. That uh, when I went for a job, they'd say, "Is that is UCL as good as as good as Dublin?" Yeah. So there was very few jobs around, and it was there was a, a feeling that the job was already gone before you went for it. Mm-hmm. You know. That's so. Uh, yeah. So often the case there was back. Oh, it definitely then, anyway. was. So this is back in. I don't know, the early 90s. Mm, so, so during one of the recessions or yeah, just before we got, went into the, the boom? Yeah, and uh, so then I got a job working as, as a researcher mm-hmm. on a scheme in the Institute of Irish Studies. They organised kind of summer Irish cultural um, residential courses and that, that was really nice. And then I decided that it would be better to go, I better go back to, um, to college and do the Masters. Mm-hmm. So I already had the diploma, but I did the Masters and I went to Sills. Mm. And, and so what differences did you see between the way that librarianship had been taught in London and here in Dublin? In London it was very old school. Mm. So it was your, your uh, cataloguing, your classification, you know, your, your mark, your, all of these things, mm. your AAC or two and, and all that. But in, in UCD then it was, you didn't actually, to be a librarian you didn't have to do cataloging classification which mm-hmm. is sort of beyond me a little bit but there was it was oh, getting that sounds like my ideal again I have to <laughs> apologize to catalogers I'm constantly slagging off cataloging it's not exactly <laughs> on the top of my list of things that I love about librarianship. it's not on mine either yeah <laughs> but so there was kind of eclectic kind of courses in UCD mm-hmm. whereas not that wasn't the case in London and it's probably changed completely it's yeah. probably you know modernized and you know when I was doing it there was you know, one or two computer terminals up in Sills, and now I'm mm. sure you know the way that librarianship has changed. That uh, it does much more focus on information architecture and all the rest, metadata and everything. And uh, so then, when I was working there, I got a job in um, Portobello College as the Saturday library assistant. Mm. And then, within a year, that transformed itself into uh, an assistant librarian role. Which was really good. They yeah. were growing a bit, and they they needed they needed another person. That seems to have happened to so many people that oh, we've yeah. spoken to. It really shows that you know, there's no such thing as a you know a small job like the oh, no, even, even taking a, a, a role that's part time. Oh, that would definitely it's often a great step into something larger and a much longer term commitment. Oh no, absolutely. And I've come across. I remember going to a meeting of BIO, I saw mm-hmm. the British and Irish Association of Law Librarians, yeah. and there was a New Zealand girl. She she decided she wanted to get into being, a, a, you know, to working over here, and she decided to join Biol and she came to the meeting. And we needed somebody at that time, mm. so she came in to do five hours, and it kind of grew from there. So definitely, I think getting your foot in the door is, yeah. you know, and going on committees and you know that kind of thing mm. can really open doors. So your your role in Portobello went from being Saturday job to expanding. Yeah, absolutely. So Portobello was. Um, it just had law and business mm. and uh, so yeah we got our head around um, 
Joan and I, so Joan Coughlin and I have worked together for many years. Uh, so that's where you met, we you met, met up the, there. the dream team were <laughs> assembled. Dream team, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we, we got, in working in a small library, you know, you get to do absolutely everything. Yeah. So you have to do a bit of instruction, you have to do a bit of acquisition, cataloging, you, you just have to do everything. Mm. So uh, budgeting and so um, I worked there as, as assistant librarian, then the librarian left and I became the librarian mm. and uh, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, you're right though, that's the, the real beauty of running a small library is you just get to do a little bit of everything, so oh, you never absolutely. really get bored of one thing. No, I'm like, I'm done with the cataloguing now, so I'm moving on to something completely yeah. different. Um, and, you know, you can have a certain amount of autonomy as well about oh, the yeah. way that you develop things and you know, expand your, your library. Um, exactly. And Portobello, at the time that you were there, was going through a lot of change. It was rapidly expanding. It was rapidly expanding, yeah. And we built we built a new a new block on South Richmond Street of, uh, I think, is it South Richmond Street? Going up towards there. Anyway, mm, uh, so we did a whole new, new building down there and it was expanding and doing really well. And then in 2007, they decided that they wanted, that they, the family that owned it, the Kearns family, decided that they didn't want to be in higher education anymore. Mm-hmm. And they, they sold the college and us to DBS. So that's been... <laughs> so dr- dramatic there. change there. Yeah, huge change. Mm-hmm. So um, so it took, it took a while. DBS ran Portobello for a while, and then they decided they wanted to integrate um, us into the library service down mm-hmm. here and, and get rid of the, the premises up there. So that was huge change, just in terms of kind of oh, managing change, not just even in terms of like the logistics of migrating collections and amalgamating collections together, but just the change from being out on your own and being kind of up in Portobello and independent and coming in to the fold of oh yeah another institution. Absolutely, it was really frightening to be honest with you. So there was like all the logistics of moving the collection and you know as it turned out moving it back again and then moving it again mm. but anyway it was actually part it was more difficult really you know kind of facing into a new organizational culture and you know yeah. new practices and everything and uh, and a much bigger staff so getting to know all these people as well mm. and it really worked out well yeah. it, it really worked out well it just it, it it became much better than it had been actually mm. you know so um you know with the bigger staff there was um you know many more projects to get involved in and um, Marie O'Neill the head librarian has a very flat structure so that yeah. everybody can get involved in the different project projects so uh yeah it worked out really really well so would you say that's kind of the the success then in in making that work was because the the, fl- the structure was was flat with it I think so because you hear so so often that doesn't work and it's nice to hear a success story of some you know a li- libraries that merged together and and it it went well and worked to the benefit of everyone oh no I think it definitely did I mean people were very good to to Joan and I when we came down mm-hmm. because they you know a place had to be found for us mm. and we were traveling with the law collection which was the reason really that um that DBS had bought uh, Portobello yeah they were kind of buying in that expertise exactly. and that collection and that kind of body exactly. of knowledge and, and, and the years students, of, yeah. you know so uh, so we ended up going down to um, Dame Street which was the became the law and postgraduate mm. um, library and, uh, and we were down there for a few years until um, the college decided to, decided to put um, both libraries together in Angel Street mm. and up we came so <laughs> by this stage it sounds like you were pretty well experienced in packing up and transporting yeah. collections and oh very um, much very much um 
Mary O'Dwyer is she has she's an engineer you mm-hmm. know at the back of it all and uh, she's expert at putting co- collections together she she can work it out down to a fine art so she was she was really good mm-hmm. but uh, yeah so you should uh, you could do uh, consultative services now for oh, no, absolutely. libraries moving their collections and we're you know I'm stronger than I look mm-hmm. <laughs> I think what's always good in, in um, having to, to move collections around as well is that you actually do the weeding and do the clearing out and do the kind of freshening up of the collection that probably wouldn't happen otherwise you know oh, you, no, have, you actually have to think really hard and long about what what you need to keep and what you oh, don't what's, and, and what the kind of core yeah. ethos of your kind of collection development policy is like why are you hanging on to things do you need to do you not what's the purpose of absolutely and we were we were very very resistant to move to losing um for example like the bound volumes of mm. the Irish reports you know so we built this great collection and and we really wanted to kind of bring it up here and have it here there just was no room and I was arguing it's kind of, you know it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with you know change and people being resistant yeah. to change in that that maybe students would end up in an environment where they wouldn't have access and that's mm. just not the case I mean there's nobody that's investing heavily into these you know you know loads of bound volumes so uh, so yeah we have to just say goodbye to some things as yeah. we we came together I think that's what well, you know, the whole kind of process of going through changes is like it's oh, yeah. having to really kind of think clearly and logically about why why am I hanging on to this Absolutely. particular thing what is it about it and you know un- unless your users are directly coming to you and saying well this is absolutely something that we we need why you know why do we form these kind of almost emotional attachments oh, no, to specific absolutely. parts of our collection or parts of our our work um, it was funny when we got when we did decide to get rid of um some of the old volumes that there were there was one particular guy that was on staff um, a member of faculty and he mm-hmm. said he'd take them because he liked to have them kind of arrayed behind him for gravitas purposes. <laughs> <laughs> so basically set dressing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. That's so function. at least they, they found a good home. Then. They did, they did. Um, so you moved all in together then, finally. We did. Everyone in, under one roof Absolutely. here in, um, in Angel Street. And yeah. Um, so then... When when I actually came up here because Marie um, Marie went on maternity leave, so mm. I took over from her, and she actually took quite a, quite a long period off. So she mm. was off for over two years. So um, so that was really good. It was that a bit of imposter syndrome, but uh, mm. but we made some developments under my watch, not probably as speedy as you know as under Marie's, but we did. I think at, at that point we brought in Koha and we we got a discovery tool and we we did various bits and pieces and uh, yeah that was that was a nice period and then Marie came back again and that was another you know element of change you know mm. is to kind of go into another role and uh, and and again it worked it worked very smoothly and very happily and uh, you know there's a superb team here yeah you know and everybody uh, respects one work. another and works together so it's 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 been great yeah it is it's a, a rare example of quite a well-functioning machine yeah um, everyone seems to kind of have their their part to play and absolutely so my role together. now as deputy librarian would be um i look after the kind of day-to-day running of the library mm-hmm. so um you know the kind of reader services would report into me and uh the teaching librarian and mm. um, 
so that we're all, all things that are kind of you know the day-to-day kind of rolling over and, yeah. and you know providing services for the students and Marie then would look after the kind of the more strategic you mm. know um, personnel in the library you know Marion collection development and and David and systems and and uh, you know the, uh, the research librarian as well mm-hmm. so in trying so she she has she has the vision and I look after the kind of day-to-day that's mm. that's how it kind of pans out but even in, in the day-to-day running, there's been a lot of change in, mm. in the focus of even the way that um, uh, reader support is delivered and you know, the introducing the teaching librarian here. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the research support elements and um, kind of really honing um, services for the different users. Oh, absolutely. Users. And for a few years now, we've had, um, I think maybe four or five years, we've had um, embedded classes, mm. we have a programme of classes and the, the um, Trevor Hall is our um, teaching librarian, he's super busy, mm. but he's, he's now going to go on in, into um, online delivery as well, mm. and, uh, but, but he's, yeah, he's on every course and doing a programme and doing lots and lots of things. With a lot of support then from reader services. Yeah. You know. Especially so. this time of year, it's really kind of yeah. peak. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. From peak now to busy Christmas. for uh, the teaching librarians. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I think that the college have, have seen that, you know, the library staff, and the reader services in particular, have a real role in, um, in retention, in student retention. Mm. So, so that um, Deborah, who works, uh, she manages the reader services desk, that she's the first year librarian as well, mm. and she has all kinds of other activities going. So we have a lot of kind of outreach, and uh, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And um, the library, fantastic. are they... Still, or at one point, you were looking after um, careers as well. Not so there was anymore. not anymore. But yeah. I do remember there was. Oh, a we one, did. At one we looked point after um, careers and careers students was looking after students, careers yeah. and student services. So that probably, although it was spreading, spreading the library quite thin, it probably was quite good in terms of developing really strong relationships with student services and with careers oh, and no, it was right across all, all the elements of it was what the college offers to students. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and we also kind of um, we you know, could could market the other services to the students as well. Mm. So it was we were all kind of like like in this together yeah, and it's you know, a nice kind of cross fertilization. It was really quite nice. often in colleges there tends to be a very compartmentalized approach like each yeah. department kind of sticks to themselves and there's a little bit of collaboration but there's not this kind of helicopter view that oh, yeah, no, that you guys well. would would have gotten from and it's still it's still there to an extent mm-hmm. you know um yeah our colleagues are, are great in careers and student services and uh and we, we've still maintained their their location in this building mm-hmm. you know so we have good relationships with them and yeah. awareness of what each other do I think it's all probably part as well of what you said about there's a good team here and everyone yeah. kind of gets on well and a lot of people who've, who've been here for, for a while and you know, had a chance to really get to know how each other work. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And there is the thing that uh, that an idea can come from anywhere. So that, you know, the library assistant, you know, today actually the library assistant um, suggested that we, we get more into doing kind of like videos about it, like on a video service you know, um, services and put them online and so the idea can come from anywhere and mm. then whoever wants to collaborate on that project and let's let's realise it. So we do there's a lot of things ticking over all the time in here. Mm. And I have another um, hat as well. I look after the um, learner supports um, uh, service mm. in the college as well. 
and that so that means that the students students with disabilities or with specific learning difficulties mm. they will come to me with with evidence whatever their their special needs are and then I'll I'll deal with um the administration and the exams office and with faculty in mm. making sure that they, they get the reasonable accommodations. That so that's quite a big required. responsibility and again yeah. it's another one of those roles that, that takes you kind of interdepartmental it does, so it those is. relationships built up with other yeah. departments. I really like it, I really like that, mm. that aspect of my job and uh, it, is, it actually has a good synergy with the library in, you mm. know that, that the teaching librarian again Trevor he'll meet with each of the students on a one-to-one basis if, if they, they want to and uh, and show them how to find um, for example information in the read out loud mm. format or you know so it is it works very well in that way and it is good to be kind of known it's good to have different staff um, kind of evident to faculty and mm. to administ- administrations and students you know it kind of uh, you know brings everything together as well yeah and I'd say again that feeds back into you know, student retention in terms of I think so. students that who have specific um, learning difficulties or who have you know, support needs that they're actually being addressed. Absolutely. Um, so do you kind of um, do you uh, solicit students to kind of approach the library early on, or where does the well they have the to go immediately here? Yeah. So so that gets them into the library in the first place mm. and. Uh, and then I, um, you know, set up all their accommodations for them. But I always one of the things that we always do with students who um, who are, are on the um, learning supports register is we would double their their library allowance and their loan period. So mm-hmm. and then we'd offer them a one to one session. So those things kind of help bring them bring them back into the library again. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, no, it's fine. It's a really it's nice great, yeah, aspect. Yeah, it's kind of making um, you know, it's opening up the academic experience for people who quite often are at high risk for dropping out oh, because absolutely. they're not getting sports they needed or can f- maybe feel excluded um, so there's a nice kind of um, inclusivity in oh that. absolutely yeah. and there's another thing I think is that um, it's really good for us to understand what their needs are mm. and to make sure that we're being accessible and, and meeting the needs of all of our students mm. you know so so that's good. Mm. And are there ever any surprises in that? I mean, I've, what I find sometimes interesting in that dynamic is the things that you can learn from, you know, the a, a user base who may not have always used the library or may not have always been as, as well served as they could be from the library and the things that you never anticipate are going to help them, you know, in terms of changes to the, even, like you mentioned, the extended the loan periods and, and the, just the, oh, the, no, the, the simple things that can make a huge difference, you know, that can be the difference between somebody using the library or not, you know. Absolutely. I think that the one-on-one is the thing that really kind of cracks what, what it is that their their information needs are. And, uh, and it also... Um, we can link across into there's an English language unit for academic support for for some students and you mm. know academic writing support. So yeah, I think um, I've learned a lot a lot from it. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know how much pe- some people really struggle, you know, to to um, get on within the academic system. I mean, like with people who have dyslexia, for example, mm. there there's thirty six different types of intelligence, and they're being assessed on the one that it is not strong for them mm. you know so it's the system is very hard for some people yeah but I think we're only beginning to become kind of con- conversant in what we need to do just to, and it's never very 
it's never huge things. It's just kind of slightly tweaking services oh, and slightly tailoring services for people who would otherwise have been very excluded. And it was interesting that the conversation that I was having with um, Catherine McSharry mm-hmm. about the in the, the National Library, and you know, we kind of hit on the the idea of you know the 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 ways in which you exclude yourself before you e- before even stepping into something of whether you think it's going to be right for you and you know students who have um, learning support needs often would do that you know in terms oh absolutely of d- you know, almost excluding themselves before, before they're almost pushing up the yeah. barrier themselves yeah because you yeah. know if if it's not an environment where you know it's it's explicitly stated that there is support mm-hmm. that there is a one to one where we're going to sit down and we're going to figure out what's going to like what's the what's the blend that you need to make sure that this works for you. Absolutely, you know, it's it so easy really to quite. put those barriers up and to kind of go, look, this is this the sort of thing that hasn't worked for me before, and I don't think it's going to work for me now. Exactly, that is why like all of us need to have a commitment to universal mm-hmm. design for learning. Yeah, you know, so that uh, I mean, they're they're simple, simple things, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's never a matter of huge financial investment. It really is usually isn't, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, there is. We have a problem in DBS, and and all of the private colleges have it, is that we we don't um, have access to the HSEs and um, the sorry HEAs yeah. uh, central fund for students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. So we can't draw down for you know special needs assistant, or we can't. So we can't provide these things. We can't provide, for example, a, you know, a live texture or you know, an, um, mm. a sign language interpreter or any of these things. So we do have to be realistic about what it is that we can't you know, provide for the students yeah. and be straight up and honest with them. But um, but within what we can do, we do. Yeah. We try to anyway. But that's good in terms of, you know, that, that in itself would, for a lot of people would would immediately be a, be a barrier in terms of saying, well, we, we can't we can't develop and enhance services in that direction. Um, but obviously you made a, a commitment to to providing learner support um, within whatever means you had available Exactly, to you. exactly. Yeah. Um, so. so it sounds like it's been... No, it's good and it's been really good. We're um, members of AHEAD and we're, uh, I'm part of the um, the Disability Advisors Working Network Dawn. Mm. And that's been... That's, I've learned an awful lot from um, from other people who are doing this job in other places. Yeah. But I wish we could just break down that door to uh, HS, HEA funding because it is for the student. It's not actually for us at all. Mm. You know. Yeah. I'm assuming if Marie has anything to do with it, she'll, uh, well, we're she'll w- wear them down eventually. We're yeah. We're <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's but it's just good to to see that, you know, you don't need to wait until. You know, a funding stream is opened up to you. There, are, there are things that you can do to begin the process. Absolutely, you, know, you could you can start making the steps towards making your service more available and more accessible for people who do have specific mm-hmm. needs. Um, and it seems like it's a beneficial relationship on on both sides. No, the really library is. benefits from being able to provide enhanced services. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, in addition to all the other stuff that you're doing, you're also in the last couple of years have ventured into um, the publishing arena. We have. So that grew out of um, Alex Cooper at the time was uh, was working in in DBS, and he had set up um, Lib Focus, mm. and that's a, that's a popular blog, of course. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's probably er- hopefully everyone who listens to uh, Librarians Aloud is, a, is familiar with the the Lib Focus blog. But if you're 
based outside Ireland or you haven't uh, ever heard of the, the Lib Focus blog, it's a, a communal blog um, for for librarians and focusing on librarian issues and it's kind of a it's really become the, the go to oh, one stop shop for examining and discussing absolutely uh, dissemination. You know, it's it's a really good uh, current awareness tool and mm. it's really good for librarians to to write for it. Mm. Write up on conferences or, or whatever it is on anything that uh, you're interested in or concerned about. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a great thing and a great initiative of mm-hmm. Alex and Michelle Dalton's yeah. as well. Um, so, um, so Alex came to me, I was his line manager, and he had an idea of setting up um, an open access peer review journal. And I thought, fantastic idea, let's green like this and, and go for it. Mm. So, um, so what came out of that was a Studies in Arts and Humanities journal. Mm. And uh, we're now on issue, I think we're volume, volume four, issue one, mm. has just gone to press, I think. But anyway, um, so, so I was thinking, yeah, it has, it's been running for... It's running now since years, 2015. Yeah. Is it that? Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think it is. But anyway, so the unique selling point of this journal is that it publishes the work, um, peer-reviewed work, by undergraduate students, postgraduate students, and then also by faculty, academics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was set up um, not actually really linked to DBS itself, but as more of an international, you know, post-institutional mm-hmm. endeavour. Um, but uh, so it, it basically it's published by uh, the SAH cartel, which mm. is comprised of uh, the editorial board, which is you know people from from various different um, universities and colleges in Ireland and beyond, and uh, then also DBS Library. Mm-hmm. So that's been that's been a really interesting project, and and very diverse and um, very pioneering as well because I know you know you're, you're seeing now DCU have been uh, moved into the, the publishing arena, but we're beginning to see uh, more kind of strengthened kind of focus on librarians or libraries becoming publishers and library presses. Oh no, absolutely. There was there's um I wrote an editorial for one of the issues of SAH on library publishing mm. and uh, and why it was so important. I'm just gonna dig out a quote because just to get some kind of idea of of people who are really well established in this in the states, mm. uh, what they felt was the the real benefit and the win for the library in getting involved involved in this area. Mm. And I got a great great quote back from um, a guy called Charles Watkinson. He's mm. um, in the University of Michigan. So I'm just gonna just log in and uh, and pull that up. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really nice the kind of cooperation that's going on um, b- between librarians in this in this area. It's nice to be in the position of being the producer as well, um, rather than just being kind of, you know, the the conduit through which um, articles and publications pass to actually take control of the the means of production. Oh, absolutely it is. And it's it's really good. Anyway, this is what uh, Charles Watkinson said. He says, the library is invisible to many faculty members who do not realise and when they access e-resources from their offices that librarians have made all of this possible. Mm-hmm. Providing services like publishing makes the library relevant to their work in new ways and an open access approach amplifies the impact of their research. The library is a logical place to coordinate all this work and leverage central services to maximise its impact. Yeah. And I mean... Says I it all, really. can't <laughs> disagree with the power of that. I mean, yeah. it's, it's been good for us in all kinds of ways to get involved in this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's... Um, you know, often there's the kind of ivory tower of you know of faculty, and then mm. we're kind of service providers. And I think that this this has we've become much more equals 
in this project. Mm. You know. Do you think having kind of dis- you know, since we've talked about the, the flat structure here and the sort of very egalitarian mm. approach to everything, do you think that helped in when you started looking at putting together a journal, having quite a collaborative and um, egalitarian ap- approach anyway? And, and oh, I definitely think so. Oh, I definitely think so. And I think, you know, with a project like this, there's no great funding behind it. Mm. So that it's kind of all hands on deck. So we're kind of copy editing and Alex is the managing editor and he mm. was kind of reaching out for peer reviewers and, you know, it was difficult to get content at the beginning. We'd, you know, people doing all kinds of yeah, things. So that's know. quite a difficult position to be in, you know, but at the very beginning, oh, yeah. when you have no product, when you when you don't have a previous issue, how did you get over that hurdle of begin you know, pulling together peer reviewers and pulling together okay. an editorial board? So, so what we did initially, what Alex did largely mm. to start with, and and we all kicked in with it as well, is just reach out to faculty in DBS, mm. and the idea then was that they would reach out to faculty in other institutions, yeah. and we, we pre- in this way created so an editorial kind of board. spoke type of approach. Yeah. Exactly, and, and they were all tasked with them um, with trying to find one piece each. Mm. So um, so we did actually manage to get um, you know the first issue together, and after that we had an issue that we could use to help, yeah. you know, uh, get more material but the really exciting thing is the um the publishing of undergraduate work i think yeah because you know to leave to leave college and have a piece of peer-reviewed peer-reviewed article mm. under your belt is just is a really great thing and i think it brings undergraduate readers to the journal and you know i think that it, it puts everybody into the mix yeah. into a it's kind of dialogue and into the and mix. even bringing it back then to kind of you know the traditional um work of the of the library when you're dealing with students, you know, you're trying to introduce them to the concepts of kind of putting together research. And Absolutely. it's often not until we're dealing with students at postgraduate level that they can see the value of doing something like produ- you know, producing their own um, peer reviewed article or submitting oh, uh, submitting a piece of work um, and also like it's a really good process for them to go through in the you know that they send for peer review it might come mm. back and it's covered in red and they're oh that's, this is terrible but actually mm. that is showing exactly how you can improve this piece of work to to publication stage yeah. so, so they're it's seeing that it's a, you know it's an entirely iterative process exactly you know, exactly it's a it's a kind of step by step rather than just submit and um, it's a good process as well in terms of getting people used to what you know the academic process is oh yeah no it's really good and uh so that's that's how it worked out we put together um an editorial board once a year we bring the editorial board in and and Mm. to ask them like you know how should we you know how can we you know develop further and what do you think is missing and Mm. you know um and that's really good for the first issue as well one of the people who works part time in the library, um, Ruth Egan, she she's an artist. Mm. Well, one of her the many strings to her bow, her bow, and uh, she um, she provided the artwork for the cover. So there's been it's kind of like another element is is you know kind of getting really nice artwork and you know it's an interesting yeah. project. So project, sorry. Yeah, it's nice to bring together kind of visual arts and oh, absolutely you know, kind of more traditional academic pieces. Oh yeah. And also, um, we we like to have kind of like practitioner and you know people who are doing things in mm. in the industry. So, um, so we've had interviews with like uh, Marie um, organized an interview with Jim Sheridan, the oh, yeah. um, Oscar nominated director. Good, yeah. yeah, which was great. And I organized an interview with them um, with the guys that um, that developed Love Hate. So Stuart oh, Carolyn and um, 
and James Flynn. Mm. And then one morning I was listening to Marion Finucan and George Galloway was on mm. and he was saying that, uh, that if anybody was interested, you know, they could get a place to show, to show his movie, The Killings of, uh, of Tony Blair, mm. that he'd come over and he'd do a Q&A. So I thought, oh, there we go. Then <laughs> I got on to him and he came over and we did that. We had a public, mm. um, a public show and talk, which was, which was really good. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, it's been interesting. It's kind of, it's, it's a really good kind of rich eclectic mix there. yeah it is it is and you can get stuck into the areas that you're really interested mm-hmm. in and then out of that has grown uh, we've Marie decided that we really should be doing something for the business community as well so we've launched the DBS business review now SAH journal is twice a year and uh, it's just once a year for DBS business review and we're going to launch our second one mm-hmm. in November and uh, yeah, no, it's great. So kind of a totally different um, focus, totally different. looking more at the, the business side of things. Yeah, and we found How, it, what, what kind of what was the difference in the process with? I think um, the difference the was community. that uh, that um, the business the um, there wasn't as much publishing going on in mm. the business school in DBS. So we so we sort of had an eye on kind of you know stimulating and um, scholarly activity and of course mm-hmm. like peer reviewing and you know there's a lot of these things that are involved in in publishing that are um you know scholarly activities as well so we did the same thing we met with a, a group of lecturers from um from across the college they reached out to other ones and mm-hmm. we we um we replicated really what we had done and uh, and it's really interesting. So we've had interviews anyway with people who are working mm-hmm. in business and we've had, you know, um, practitioner reports and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an interview with the guy that set up Wicked Wolf and, you know, and then lots of kind of academic articles in there as yeah. well. So it's, it's uh, an eclectic mis- mix as well. Yeah. And as you said, it's, it's important to, to try and promote uh, more publishing in the business Absolutely, community and something we're interested in as well is uh, co-publishing. Mm-hmm. So that maybe if a student has done um, done a master's and the, the lecturer thinks it's really good, they could get together and and work on this. And and you know, if if the student didn't want to do it on their own, mm-hmm. and then they can um, they could try and get that published as well. Yeah. So we're just trying to promote. Um, it's a good kind of stepping stone into you know. It's almost like doing a parachute jump. It's like you do the, doing the tandem exactly. jump first. It's like the someone there to kind of someone experienced and who's been through the process who can sort of just hold hold your hand through it and is is there to kind of do edits with you and and give you the the benefit of their insight and and build you as well so I think it's a really good thing Mm. so um just earlier on this summer we decided that with with two journals in the stable that we would launch the uh, DBS DBS uh, Library Press. Mm. So the DBS Library Press is is up and running. We have some kind of you know web pages and mm. you know we have affiliations. We've joined the Library Publishing Coalition, and uh, next year we'll we'll feature in the Library uh, Publishing Directory. And uh, we, I edited an issue of um, SAH Journal. Um, it was basically Marie O'Neill suggested the mm. idea that we could do something to celebrate the fact that the travellers. Had been Irish travellers have been recognised as an ethnic minority. Yeah. So, um, so we decided that we'd um, we'd do an issue on um, minorities and ethnic minor- sorry minorities and indigenous people. Mm. So I edited that and just reached out to people in in 
institutions around around the world. So we got a piece, um, a co-published piece from Monash University in Australia. Mm-hmm. We got a piece from Auckland University. We got something from St Andrews in Scotland on the room with people. And best of all, we got contrib- contributions by um, by people, two people, one in, in the UK in Cambridge and one in um, in Galway who are doing PhDs and they are travellers, mm. you know, so so it was really good. And as a result of that, we had we had a great launch event. We, we had an interview with um, with, with an Irish traveller, Missy Collins, mm. at the launch event over in the Mansion House. We had um, Martin Collins of Pavy Point spoke. It was a really emotional occasion, actually. Mm. It, was, it was brilliant. And coming out of that, we have our eye on the two PhD students of maybe publishing monographs mm. with them down the line. Once again, in the library, we, we have talent, like David Hughes has, has uh, been an indexer in the past. So we have the talent here to do that. Mm-hmm. And finally, we want to get involved in education. So library as publisher as part of library training, you know, in the, in the MSc in Information and Library Management. Yeah. So, so you're kind of built to try and build in the knowledge for expanding yeah. this as, as exactly. like a legitimate kind of route for oh, absolutely. people in the, the library profession. I definitely think it's the way that's going to go. But the Library Public Publishing um, Coalition has created um, a Creative Commons curriculum mm. for library publishing. So I've done the first, I've done two of them. So one on sustainability, it was... Um, Holly Mercer um, mm. facilitated that and it was really good and then the other one um, I'm just doing at the moment it's um, one on impact and Charles Watkinson has appeared again and mm. he's he's doing that so there's a lot of people really pulling together to to um, disseminate this information and it's all reusable and it's all online and you know so there's there's a very strong movement of a library publishing mm. building. Yeah, and I think it's it's only going to develop as we push, as there's kind of more a more kind of strong kind of galvanized kind of resistance to the traditional publishing model. And certainly from my work in terms of um, doing a lot of advocacy and and working with um, open access repositories, and you know I feel that we're really close to a point where that traditional publishing model is just not sustainable anymore. It's just not feasible. Um, yeah. And, it's, and, and that, it's that, that we're getting kind of str- stronger in our resolve that, you know, open access is... Um, Absolutely. ...is the, the only way. kind of ethical approach to, to disseminating you know, research knowledge, um, particularly when it's publicly funded. But, you know, if exactly. It's, if it's, even if it isn't, it's, if it's in the public interest... Absolutely. I mean, I think in terms of um, developing countries as well, you know, mm. that that don't have kind of you know um, library infrastructures and don't have the uh, the means to pay, for, you know, for those expensive paywall yeah. uh, databases, and that they're does, totally you know, disadvantaged. You, like, nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody really. has the money to cover you. Even if you just look at like the bare minimum costs for just individual articles, if you're looking at you know thirty, forty euro a pop for Absolutely. individual articles, unless you're earning quite a lot of money, that's just completely prohibi- prohibitive. And it, um, um, it's time we pushed back. And I think so. The, the way to do that is to show kind of active, viable alternative models like library presses. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And at the moment, you know, you have every, you know, the the uh, really um, important journals, whatever, mm. you know, the the high impact journals are all sitting behind paywalls. But I think little by little that will it will change, you know. And uh, you know, if you do publish and. Uh, and your work is in an expensive journal that is sitting behind a paywall, 
you people don't get to read that you know yeah. it, there's a, there's a while you're, limi- you're limiting the um the potential for dissemination you're Absolutely. limiting your your likelihood there's, there's of no yeah. to, you know whereas you know we're getting the thing out there and it is discoverable mm-hmm. and you know EBSCO and and other um other companies are realizing the the importance of the open access so they're going to be more discoverability is going to be more what they do in the future than you know with with open access yeah you know um and have you thought about looking at kind of open peer review processes i'm just thinking the likes of what the hrb are doing with their open research form yeah. And some of like particularly because i obviously the medical and health background that there's a push towards um, um, opening up even the peer review yeah. process and yeah no we have certainly thought about it and mm. and and i think some some people are quite keen on it um i think with publishing student work that maybe opening all of that it may know, be a little harsh for it, it people taking their bit, first steps yeah. in yeah. so i think it could be uh, maybe we're a little early for that but mm. down the line yeah i think mm. so even if we were to begin with you know with the 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 academic end you know, so the, the work that the faculty the faculty um, contributors, maybe, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, but the fact that you now have um, your own uh, DBS Library Press, mm-hmm. it gives you the platform to begin to mm-hmm. absolutely expand the empire of titles. Yeah, <laughs> and we're we, we're we're going to start um, curating data sets, and you know mm-hmm. we have we have ambitions. We have ambitions beyond you know the number of people we are, and you know yeah, and and our our budget but we do have ambitions wow yeah so um, exciting stuff on, on the horizon so when did you say that the next issue of the um, the DBS business, 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 business review, review is going to come out in November so mm-hmm. we'll have a launch event for that and mm-hmm. that'll be that'll be here in the college and then the next issue of um, SAH journal will be due out in uh, December and that is going to be an issue uh, largely around um, direct provision mm-hmm. and and you know, refugee status. That would be that. very interesting. Yeah, well, it's um, an eclectic. Do you have any? Do you have any insight on what articles or who's been contributing to that? It's. Uh, it was an international. As far as I know, it was it was uh, a, a colloquium that was held out in D C U, and uh, the proceeds have been turned into kind of peer review, mm-hmm. uh, peer reviewed articles, and then other kinds of articles as well and commentary. Mm, it's a very topical. Oh it? yeah, oh yeah. Things have to change there as well. Mm, exactly. Um, it's nice to see looking at, you know, areas that maybe haven't been um, examined as deeply mm-hmm. in um, academic publishing. Oh um, no, it's really nice to from an Irish perspective as well. A kind of platform, mm. you know, um, to open up discussion. Yeah. So some very interesting stuff going on and it sounds like it's just the, the, the beginning. Yeah, it um, is. It's it's a really interesting like librarianship is so interesting in that way that it's um it's constantly changing and there's mm. new ideas coming through all the time so it's it's a good area to be in yeah okay well thanks so much for for talking to me and thanks so uh, good luck with the the next um, issue of the journal thanks very much you'll have Thank to come Thanks so much to Jane for talking with me. Um, Be sure to check out Studies in Arts and Humanities. I'll add a link in the episode notes. 
So the Academic and Special Libraries Committee have been very busy lately laying the groundwork for our 2019 conference. Um, we'll be releasing a save the date in the coming week um, with the call for papers to follow. We have a really exciting theme in store and we have a fantastic keynote lined up. So keep an eye on our Twitter account at AS Libraries to get updates. As always, if you like Librarians Aloud, um, do give us a rating or a review on Apple's po- Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Um, it helps other people to find the show. So until next month, thanks for listening. Librarians Aloud is produced and presented by Laura Rooney-Ferris. Music and editing are by Michael Ferris. 